You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6, we've come to verse 13, but we'll begin at verse 10. We'll read down to verse 17. Finally, my brethren, be, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, we're going to hear that again, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not, very important, against flesh and blood. It's not a physical war. It's an invisible war, a spiritual battlefield. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this present world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, because of that truth, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, literally the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We come now from uh, the description of the war that we're in, the invisible war, to the warrior. Are you fit for battle or are you outfitted for battle? Here it's the Lord is saying <laughs> the truth is we live in hostile territory. We are on active duty. We're not on furlough. You know, we are on active duty. Ecclesiastes 8.8 8 says there's no discharge in that war. Every day you get up, the enemy's waiting to smack you in the face, and then you, you're, you're in that wrestle and that war all day. You fall asleep, and hopefully you can get through the night with some about weird dreams and uh, get some rest. But we're in a hostile world, hostile territory. Uh, we are fighting from victory, not for victory. And the context here is that we should take our stand. The battle and the war has been won by Christ, the Redeemer, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, so we're not to give up any territory now in, in the context of that truth. But the truth is, it is a battle. And we have to think about it. Jesus said in Luke 14, look, nobody goes to build a tower unless they look at their resources. They count the cost of that first before they undertake something. He says no army, no king goes to battle against another king, not one army against another army unless men are counted, resources are taken into consideration. There's always a cost, and he says we should count that cost. He tells Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, that in the world that we are living in, he says, thou therefore endure hardness, because this life can be difficult, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth, no man that's on active duty, entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. He doesn't say the affairs of this life are sinful 
or they are wrong. The idea is they're not expedient. I mean, when you look around and you see what's going on in the world today, we should be reprioritizing. Is there anything wrong with getting the latest 52-inch television? No. But when somebody you love gets blown up or gets Ebola or some terrible thing comes down, all of a sudden that gets in the right perspective. It's not as important anymore. If we're going to be entangled, caught up with things, it shouldn't be the things of this life. He says, no man that goes to war that's on active duty entangleth himself, gets himself wrapped up with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. Remarkably, um, you know, you sing the song, I'm in the Lord's army. You know, we're, we're, we're there. We're, we're on the battlefield whether we like it or not. I don't think there's anything uh, that gets us away from that. And Paul, understand, as he is writing this, is chained to a soldier. In verse 20, he says, uh, for which I am an ambassador in bonds. He's in Rome, writing to Ephesus, chained to a Roman soldier. And this is a guy, you know, for years now that's been around Roman garrisons and Roman soldiers and Roman fortresses. He's been in custody for years, more than once. And now again, he's chained to a soldier. So you can see, you know, just imagine Paul as he's writing you know, it's okay. The, the, let me see your belt there. You know, that's, that's important. You know, just, okay, the breastplate. Okay, hey, help me with this. Well, you're a Roman soldier. You, you know, he must have, you know, used this in a wonderful way to witness to the guys. And he must have said, now, what's the difference between the way you're dressed now and the way you're dressed when you go on the battlefield? Because that's what I, I want to know about the battlefield. And just, you know, and, and any Roman with, with battlefield experience would be delighted to tell him a Roman legionnaire was the terror of the known world. They had taken everything in the consideration, even what the Spartans had practiced. Uh, The Roman army had crushed the world into submission. Our special forces still use some of the writings of the Roman legions today as they train special forces. These guys were, they were the thing, you know, they were awesome. So Paul, you can imagine sitting there asking this Roman guard all these questions. And Paul says, look, considering the fact that we're not fighting on a physical battlefield, we're not fighting a physical enemy, this is an invisible war, principalities and powers and so forth. He says, now because of this, verse 13, take unto you the whole armor of God, the the panalope, panalopeia here, pan is, is all or complete. A pandemic is something that spreads everywhere. Pan, which means all or complete, Hapla means armor or weaponry, and that's what the phrase is in the Greek. Take to you all the armor, all the weaponry. Take everything that's available to yourself. The reason that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. His picture is, you know, of Russell Crowe at the end of the battle, standing on the battlefield. Everything's smoking around him, and he's still standing. If you're still standing on the battlefield when everything else is over and still smoking, you are victorious. You are the victor. And that's the picture here, having done all to stand. You've withstood, and now you're standing. You're standing on blood-drenched ground. You know, the King of kings and the Lord of lords has had the victory. You should take to yourself, you know, in, in all of the, the, the things that he has issued for your safety as his child, and you should put those things on that you may be able to stand because the warfare we're involved in is an invisible war. And occasionally, he says, those days come... The evil day comes. You yourself know 
you know, you can relax. You can, you can kind of, things are going well, you know. And then once in a while, one of those days comes with either a doctor's report or somebody smashes into your car or you get a pain or you're throwing up or the, your five best friends all stab you in the back on the same day. You know, just, you know, one of those days just come and he says on that day, you have to be ready. You can't be running around and say, oh, no, where's my helmet? Where's my breastplate? Oh, no, where's my sword? You can't be running around trying to grab everything. He says, no, no, we have to stand. We have to be ready because we're in a hostile environment. This is not civilian duty. We are on active duty. And we have to know how to take our stand and be ready come what may. So he, he takes us through this picture here. Now, by the way, I'll move through rather quickly. If you leave the day and say, that was too quick, I want more. Well, then you can go out and get for yourself. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has written six or seven volumes on Ephesians, and he has two volumes, 360-some pages on verses 10 to 13, and then 350-some more pages on, uh, on verses 13 through 18. So if you want to read 700 pages on this, get Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones's two volumes on these verses. Uh, the, the, the standard old work by Grunel, uh, the, the, the full armor of God, is like 700 pages. So if you want to read 1,400 pages on this and get more information than I'm giving that's on the tape, get those books and read them. Uh, here... He says then, having done all the stand, look at verse 14. Stand, therefore. Take your stand, having, the idea is your loins belted with truth. Having taken truth to yourself. Warfare is not for casual dress. It's not for Versace or Calvin Klein. If you're in the battle, you want to have on the uniform, the things that the Lord has issued for the Christian soldier. And he says, the first thing it is, is you're belted, you know, with truth. Now, for the Roman, that was, if he talked to the Roman guard, the guy would have said, yeah, that's the first thing we put on. When you speak of battle gear, the first thing we put on is that belt. It was around their waist. It was thick, but it had all those kind of straps that hung down kind of to their knees of thick leather. And they, they would have like plates on them because you, you gird your loins. Your strength is in your lower bowels. And your thighs were guarded with that. If a sword came across your leg, it didn't cut your thigh. You could still stand. And, and the, the strength. And what he says, look, this is not so much a description of Roman gear as it is using Roman gear as a picture of, of the, the armor that God has given to the believer. This, he says, this gear this belt is a picture of truth it's the first thing that's buckled on the breastplate's going to be hooked to that scabbard the sword's going to be put in that everything else is attached to that but the first thing that you put on is truth the world we live in lacks truth if you say you know something's true you're branded as closed-minded or politically incorrect or all this because people say there is no truth well there ain't no truth why should i believe you what you're saying is not true then what I'm saying is true. I know the truth. You're saying I don't know the truth. Why is your truth more important than my truth? It's, it's all ridiculous. 
If you believe something and you know what you believe, people want to point the finger at you. Look, there's truth. And as we go through these things, all the way through, scholars argue, well, this is objective or subjective. Because the truth that we're talking about is then described as the righteousness in verse 14. It's the peace in verse 15, the faith in verse 16. There's definite articles throughout. So certainly it is a picture of objective truth, and only there can subjective truth be born. So, yes, the, the first thing we put on is truth. You know, we, we use that to protect our life, our waist, our knees. Everything hinges on truth. Some people want to hinge their Christian experience to other things, to feelings. I don't know. You know, some are saying, oh, I feel great. I felt the Holy Spirit. How do you know? My hair stood up. That's a good thing to build your life on. Goosebumps. Wonderful when it happens. I'm not against it, but that's not, you know, you know, or, you know, I don't feel the Lord. Because if, you're, 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 if, if, if that's your girdle feelings, I don't know. I don't feel him. I don't know where he is. Well, you're not supposed to build on feelings. You're supposed to build on truth. What you feel is not truth. The truth is the truth. You don't, deserve, you don't determine what truth is by what you feel. Well, I don't feel him. Well, you know where he is when you don't feel him? He's right next to you, not wanting you to feel him. That has nothing to do with the truth. The truth is I'll never leave you or forsake you, even to the end of the age. He never leaves us. If you don't feel him, it has nothing to do with whether he's there or not. Because we're to hook into truth and we're to stand in that. Some people want to hook into, you know, fleeces. I put out a fleece. What do you mean you put out a fleece? Well, I don't know if I'm supposed to be living with my girlfriend or not. You're a knucklehead. You don't need a fleece. Read the book. Here's the book. Right here's the fleece. You're waiting for rain, you know, waiting for your coat to be wet or dry in the morning to figure out whether you're supposed to be living in sin. We don't need fleeces. We have God's word. Some people want to, you know, signs. I had a dream. Don't ask me about dreams. If you need dream interpretation, you go to Jerry. Jerry does all of our dream interpretation right here. <laughs> I've had a few dreams that were super. I don't know, you know, I don't do it. But people come up, what do you think? Pastor Joe had this dream, and I saw this, you know, this white bird flew, and then this black bird, he flew across, and then they were both on the wire at the same time, and then they went in different directions. And I think God's trying, I, I, I'm thinking, man, oh man, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I think you, you ate too much pepperoni pizza before you went to bed. That's, that's what I think. I don't know that's a spiritual message. The truth is, the gospel, the New Testament. The truth is you're God's daughter, you're God's son. The truth is you're paid for in the blood. The truth is we have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, phase that away. The truth is this is just the journey. We're not home. We're in hostile territory. There's truth. Some people want to just tie it into traditions. Well, this is what our church traditionally does. This is what our church traditionally does. Well, this is what our church, you know, the problem with the church today is there ain't enough truth anymore in the church. Tradition, there's plenty of. Truth, uh, you know, uh, there's a famine of the word of God. So the first thing you put on is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Should I be doing this? Well, would you be doing it if Jesus was walking next to you? Truth. Put him on. Let him measure. His word. He says, Father, sanctify them 
through thy truth, thy word is truth. Not thy word is true, thy word is truth itself. We have truth. In a world that's deceived, you see the immorality in this nation, the things we don't want our kids raised that way. You see the drug addiction. You see all of the things that are going on. You know, we look at this thing now of, again, recreational marijuana. Are you kidding me? You know, your 10-year-old knows better than that. Marijuana was the, was the gateway for me to try everything else because they told me if you do that, you're going to be in big trouble. And I did that and thought, this is great. Why shouldn't I try everything else? And now it's going to be all over the country. Truth is, we should be sober-minded, watchful. Christ is coming. The world's going to be deceived by sorcery, pharmakia, pharmacos, the using and selling of drugs. This age, this culture is signed up to be deceived. We have truth. To that truth, he says, then take yourselves, having taken, having put on the breastplate of literally the righteousness. Yeah, our behavior should reflect, but it can only reflect what we believe. The breastplate to the Roman was a reminder of his vital organs. I mean, it covered the the legionnaire's upper body, so there's going to be no arrow to the heart, to the liver. not going to be struck in the torso because he has that armor on. And here he's taking that and he's flipping it over to, what about your heart, you know, as a Christian, as a believer? How easily our hearts are discouraged. How easily we can get wounded in our heart. How easily we can get away. And the heart, it says, is where the issues of life flow from. We're told to guard your heart with all diligence because from it flow the issues of life. Not from your intellect, from your heart. Desire and longing is way more powerful than thought. Job's wife proved that. As she left... Sodom that day with her husband, and they were fleeing. It says she lingered behind. She looked back. What destroyed her is what she longed for, not what she thought. She had the information in her mind and knew she needed to get out there, but her heart was stronger than her thought. The heart always makes a convert of the mind. What destroyed her is what she longed for, not what she knew. You guard your heart with all diligence. And for you and I to guard our heart, we have the breastplate of righteousness. The enemy fires at us. He quotes scripture. He did to Jesus in the wilderness. You say, well, your heart is desperately wicked. I know that. You long for things you shouldn't long for. I know that. You have stuff that goes on inside of you that shouldn't go on inside of any pastor. I know that. Worst person sitting in the pew till you're in this with me. <laughs> what do I do? I have the breastplate of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I am going to heaven because I am clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I will never get there by my performance. I will never get into heaven because I deserve it, because I'm worthy of it, or because I earn it. I'll never get into heaven because of my behavior. I am getting into heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Solely because of that. The breastplate of righteousness, it is hooked to truth. To that girdle, it hooks to that, and it's the foundation of it. It's hooked into truth. Verse 15, he says, and your feet 
shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Interesting, Josephus said this, a historian from the time of Christ, he said, part of the success of Caesar's armies was relative to the footwear issued to the Roman soldiers, enabling them to cover large areas of difficult terrain quickly. Josephus was amazed because they either had a sandal with straps across the top of the foot and around the back that's protected sometimes from being hand-strung, uh, and there were, there were knobs on the bottom so they would get traction, or they actually, some of them actually had boots depending on what terrain they were fighting in. And Josephus said part of the reason for their success, they trampled down the entire Mediterranean world, and they were better equipped than other armies and than other foes. So it says here that our feet should be shod, having been shod, literally, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Not the gospel of prosperity. That don't work all the time. Not the gospel of health and wealth. Blab it and grab it. <laughs> Kathy and I were in that ministry till we were sick and broke again. We were there in health and wealth. Not the gospel of politics. A lot of people are in there these days. Gospel of peace. The reason we stand, you know, what, what we're clothed with, the gospel, you know, boots that we have on, what we stand in is the gospel of peace. Satan can't move us. We don't have to give any ground. We have great traction. We have peace with Almighty God because of the righteousness that's been provided by Christ, and that's hooked into the truth of his word. And we don't have to give ground. Look, you should have peace. You know, sadly, I know so many Christians, no peace. What if he really doesn't love me? What, is he kidding? What do you mean, what if he really doesn't? He would say that and not mean it? Where's truth? Where's the breastplate of righteousness? That's why you need to be standing in peace. And this is paradoxical. He brings in our standing in peace to the battlefield because it's not a physical battlefield it's a spiritual battlefield it's an invisible war and for us to stand in that invisible battlefield we have to stand in peace the enemy wants to disquiet us and mess us up and get us all tangled up with all kinds of other things oh yeah if he loves you how come you're not making any money if he loves you how come you're not healthy if he loves you how come you're in a country where all the politics going down the drain if he loves you why this way no 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 he loves us. We're washed in the blood of his son. That truth holds us. We're headed for eternity. We don't deserve to get there. We're going to get there because of Jesus. And I can stand in this battlefield in peace. I can stand there in peace. Romans had trampled down the whole Roman world with those shoes. So he uses those shoes as a picture of something relative, not just to our walk, certainly, but the idea is of holding our ground. Because Satan, look, Satan will take a mile from you an inch at a time. He's content to bump you back one inch. He's been around for thousands of years. He's in no rush. He'll take a mile an inch at a time. This warns us about the deceitfulness of sin. I know I, know I shouldn't watch this, but... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good in Christ. Well, yeah, I know my girlfriend and I shouldn't. You know, we're not tempted to go any further, so we just kind of... 
I know I shouldn't take, you know, I only take a glass, you know, I don't take two. I know it was a problem in my past, but, you know, I know I shouldn't smoke one of these, but it's legal in most states. I know I should. Look, he's content to take a mile from you an inch at a time. He desensitizes us to where we're saying, hey, Lord, you don't have to worry about me. Like there's other Christians in church you really need to worry about. But I'm mature spiritually. Like he's so relieved when when you let him know that. (laughs) He'll take a mile an inch at a time. This says, if our feet are shod with the gospel of peace, we have the traction we need. We don't have to give an inch. I don't have to have this girlfriend or this boyfriend to have peace. I don't have to have heroin to have peace. I don't have to have cocaine or marijuana to have peace. I don't have to have more money to have peace. I don't have to have pornography to have peace. We can take our stand and not give up ground. That's what he's reminding us of here as we look at that. Then he moves on to the shield. Interesting in verse 16, look what he says, above all. Isn't that interesting? Above all having taken the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all of the fiery darts of uh, the wicked one. And this is the shield of faith. And look, the arguments are, as you go through, you read all the scholars, and I I read more than I want to read. You know, is this objective faith or subjective faith? Is this objective truth or subjective truth? Is this objective peace or subjective peace? Yes. First of all, you can never have subjective experience with obje- without objective truth in the first place. And when I stand on the battlefield, I don't want to stand on the battlefield facing an enemy in an invisible war with subjective things. I want to stand there in the objective truth that Christ has given to me with a breastplate of righteousness he's given to me with my feet, you know, shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace taking the shield of faith and then certainly there should be evidence of those things in my life that should be borne out you should demonstrate that your faith is real you should be able to see that but our stand is in what he here clearly provides for us to put on for the battlefield taking it says above all the shield of the faith Now, this is the faith that was once delivered to the saints. The Spartans would use this as the large shield. The Romans, you know, had the small round shield they would use in in tight hand-to-hand combat. But when they went army to army, they had the big shield. It was a little over four foot long, about two and a half foot wide. It was curved. It was layers of bronze and leather, sometimes wood and leather. They were heavy. Roman soldiers were stout fellows. They were dragging these things around. And when they went into one of those battles where they knew the enemy archers were on the other side, sometimes they would soak that leather in water. And they would use it in several ways. First of all, look, we're going to hear here they have a helmet. They have a breastplate. They have their, their girdle, their girt, you know, around their waist. And yet we remember Ahab in the battle. It says an archer fired a shot at a whim, just let one fly, and it came down right between the joints of his armor and pierced through his heart and killed him. So though you have the breastplate, it's saying, above all now the shield of faith, you're able to get everything you are behind that shield of faith. 
even with your breastplate, even with everything else. They, they could put their whole body behind it. What they had learned from the Spartans is you created a, a phalanx. You, the guy next to you put his shield right with yours. The guy next to him put his shield. And you end up with a wall of shields and then a second layer of shields. And you see the movies where the archers, the bad guys, they light all their arrows on fire. It says flaming darts here. And all of a sudden you hear this... You look up and there's this ridiculous, you know, billions of arrows on fire coming down. Well, it says these guys would put that up and they'd just get under that boom, 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 and would actually distinct, extinguish the arrows when the leather was wet. And it says you'll be able to stand. Look, several things we learned from that. It's in your own personal life. The faith, the shield of faith should cover everything. The faith that was once delivered to the saints. It says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It's the faith. And the Savior. Not pop culture Christianity. The faith. It tells us then we should be able to get next to other Christians. doesn't matter if they're Pentecostal, Baptist, Presbyterian, Reformed. You know, I had a friend in Calvary in South America... And a, and a child had died, and he said, we were there digging the hole. One of the missionaries was Presbyterian, one of them was Pentecostal, one of them was Baptist, and on the battlefield, there were no differences. We were there together. And the idea is the shield of faith. You can get down next to other Christians, and you put those together. The idea is you're fighting side by side with others. You're not just alone. So, yeah, it covers you, but the important thing is in a phalanx, there's others. You're, you're, you're not independent. Every joint, every ligament supplies. There's unity in the body of Christ, and it's a wonderful picture of the shield of faith, which is the same shield of faith that every Christian should have. And when those fiery darts of the enemy come raining down, because what they wanted those to do, if they, if they fired them at a ship, if they fired them into the camp to hit tents, they wanted them to start fires and for those fires to burn. The idea here is the enemy would love to sink something into you and it starts to smolder and it starts to burn. And you know what? He's right. I am a jerk. I don't know. Maybe I didn't get saved. Maybe I need to reconvert my conversion and recommit my commitment. Maybe I need to. And all of these doubts fester. All of this stuff that discourages us and makes us defeated. He says, no, the shield of the faith that was once delivered to the saints, it extinguishes the fiery darts of the enemy. We're saved by faith through grace. We have the breastplate of righteousness, which is anchored by the truth of God's word. We stand in the peace he's provided for us in the warfare that we're in, in the unseen realm, these things are important. And take to you the helmet of salvation. We are in a helmet uh, rich culture. There are helmets all around us. You need helmets for motorcycles these days. Not all motorcycle guys appreciate that. Now you're supposed to have helmets for bicycles. But come on, you can't ride a bike. Helmets for skateboards. When I was a kid, hockey players played without helmets. Now all hockey players have helmets. Football players, the whole thing with concussions, helmets. You know, you do this, and they have all this padding and roll design. Now there's speakers so the coach can talk to you. Wouldn't it be wonderful in the helmet the Lord gives us if the speakers were right there in ears, he could just talk to us while we're out on the battlefield? Brain bucket, it's important. 
the helmet of salvation, your mind, your brain, what you think. Salvation. Look, we have been saved. Understand what that means. Because Paul, second letter of the Corinthians, he says, you, you have been delivered. You are being delivered. You shall yet be delivered. Because this is what salvation is. It's an eternal salvation. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We have been saved from the penalty and consequences of sin. We are not going to go to hell. We are clean. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin right now. It's being broken into greater greater degrees in our lives. And we will be saved from the presence of sin as we step into glory. Look, people always think, I know I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to get to heaven. I'm going to say something stupid. I'm going to lust after something and they're going to throw me out. No, no, no. The wonderful thing is we're, we're saved from the penalty of sin through the blood of Christ. We're being saved from the power of sin through the work of the Holy Spirit as we're conformed to his image and likeness. And we will be saved from the presence of sin as we step in the glory. No potential of that happening. That's the helmet of salvation. You put that on. God is the one who was, who is, and is to come. So he views us that way. He says, you're glorified. No, no, you're you're justified, glorified, and sanctified. That's the God who was, you're glorified. The God who is, you're sanctified. The God who is to come, you're glorified. He sees us. He's a God who calls things that are not as though they were because he sees the end from the beginning. That's the, the helmet of salvation that we put on. It's a complete salvation. It's a complete salvation. It says this in 1 Thessalonians. It says, uh, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For a helmet, the hope of salvation. It says here, our helmet is the helmet of salvation. Our thoughts our cogitations, what we wrestle with there in, in, in the helmet that God has provided for us. And lastly, it says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Look, only offensive weapon in the process. It can be used defensively, but an offensive weapon. This is the short sword, the Roman sword, the short one, the scabbard. Rome overtook the entire world with that short sword. It was the deadliest weapon of the day. And it says here that our sword is the word of God. Interesting here, look, please listen. The sword, the Roman soldier trained with that sword could parry, he could use it defensively, he could block, he would parry, he would cut, and then he would thrust with the sword. It says here, the sword's the word of God. Not the logos, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, that's the logos. The entirety of the written word, the entirety of God's truth is the logos. But this here, it says the the sword of the spirit is the word of God, it's the rhema of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every rhema word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Listen, 
Here's the difference. It tells us, husbands, you're to wash your wives in the water of the rhema. The difference is, yeah, I have a Bible. Yeah, I read the Bible. Well, then you get in a circumstance. Well, what does the Bible say about that? Uh, I don't know. I got to get my concordance or my app. I got I to find it. No, you're supposed to know your word good enough so the logos becomes a rhema when you apply it. Somebody yells at you, your wife, your boss, your kids, it's hurtful, and you're ready to blast back, and all of a sudden in your mind comes a soft answer, turneth away wrath. That's rhema. It's the living word spoken by God applied to the circumstance. And I know some of you are going to say, God, come back later. Right now, I've got to kill somebody, you know. But, <laughs> but, but if you want to save yourself casually on a battlefield and bloodshed, you want to be wise, it speaks to you right there. Satan came to Jesus and said, not if, by the way, the class condition in the Greek is since you're the son of God. Turn these stones into bread. Jesus said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema. It was the verse that applied to the temptation of the devil. Every rhema that proceeds from the mouth of God. All three times, Jesus didn't say, it's this way because I believe. He said, it's this way because it is written. And each one had application to the circumstance. You need to know, wives, what the Bible says about you being a Christian wife. That's rhema. It's the living word of God. Husbands, what it says about being a Christian husband, spirit-filled husband. You have to know what it says about temptation, about sexual sin. Because our world is playing with that today. There's no more clarity. Everything's okay. Everything is, is fuzzy, you know. When George Bush was in, they talked about fuzzy math. There's fuzzy morality in our country now. There's no more lines of delineation. Nothing's clear. Nothing's easy. Nothing's simple. Little kids know. If you ask them, they still know. But as we become adults, we don't know anything anymore. Unless you have the Word of God. Your life is, is hooked in truth. The, the breastplate of Christ's righteousness is anchored there. You have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. You stand on the battlefield in peace. You have this huge shield of faith that covers everything. The helmet of salvation is on your head. And you have the sword of the spirit, which is the rhema. You know what the word of God says about the circumstance you're in. You need to know that. Look, I love to read Proverbs. I read Proverbs every morning. Whatever Whatever day of the week it is, day of the month it is, you read that chapter in Proverbs. And then every, you know, I miss the, 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 the last chapter once in a while, Proverbs 31, you know, the, 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 the woman there. But I'm married to her, so I, I get to see her anyway. But <laughs> the virtuous woman. Um, but you can read that. You can read two chapters on the 30th if, you're, you know, if you want to get that down and several more in, in February if you want to just finish it up. But I, but I read it every morning. And it keeps me from doing stupid stuff during the day all the time. When I talked to Ben Carson, he said, I read it every morning and then I read it again before I go to bed. I read the chapter twice a day and he's done it for years. Good practice. It's like sharpening your sword. Nothing worse than hacking at the enemy with a dull sword. When he comes on the battlefield, you parry, you cut, you thrust. He's dead. He is a wily, it tells us, enemy. 
who has been around for thousands of years. He is well-tested. He is the master of the invisible realm. And here you are, this little puddlin, you know, shown up at the last hour of human history, and God puts a lightsaber into your hands and says, no matter how powerful he is, whatever experience he has, whatever damage he's done, you swing this. He goes down. You swing this. You keep it sharp. You know what it says about your life and about your kids and about unity and about gossip and about immorality. You know what it says. And in that day, put on, you know, you, you have put on the whole armor of God. The idea is once and for all. Just do it and have it on that you may be able to withstand even when that particular day comes that would be overwhelming you end up, you're still standing. And as the smoke on the battlefield clears and there's carnage everywhere, you're standing. That's victory. Because you have truth protecting your loins, your strength. You have righteousness anchored in that truth. You have peace with God. You, you, faith shields all of that in your life. You have the, the helmet. Your mind is captivated by the salva- salvation of Almighty God. And in your hand, in your hand, you have the sword of the Spirit. It is not a natural sword. It is not for a physical battle. It is the sword of the Spirit. It is the most powerful offensive weapon in the invisible realm. And there is no foe that can stand against it. You use it. You use it. Look. Uh, we're out of time. Um, if you're here today and, and this sounds, you know, what did I walk into? What are these people really into here? They're doing spiritual warfare and stuff like that. Look, uh, Paul, when he's talking to the Roman governor, says this, that the Lord called him and saved him to send him to the Gentiles to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith. Paul says that is in me, Christ saying in me. What, what he's saying is this. Look, this, these are analogies. These are pictures they're pictures of larger and greater things. And the truth is, this world is blinded. And Paul says to the Roman governor, God has called me, saved me, washed me, cleansed me, and set me forth to deliver people from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God's Son, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that they might receive forgiveness and eternal life. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, look, you can say all of this sounds crazy. You can say whatever you want. But the truth is this, because some of you are going to know it in your heart, and, and it's inescapable, that God wants to bring you from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of his son, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's, all, that's what's behind all of this. And some of you know in your heart, you know what, I fought this long enough, it's time to surrender. I'm going to have the musicians come. We'll sing a last song. And if today's the day you want to surrender, just say, all right, there's things going on around me. It freaks me out. 
I'm bummed all the time. I've had suicidal thoughts. I, I, you know, sometimes I just think about ending it all. I don't feel like I have any peace where I stand. I, I don't feel like my mind is ever settled down. I, I just don't feel like I know certainly what the Bible says about my circumstances. If God's really there and he really loves me, I need this today. You'll know that in your heart. And you come the way you are. It doesn't matter what your resume is. It doesn't matter if you're a mass murderer. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, whatever you've done, destroyed your family. It doesn't matter if you're just a self-righteous old religious person that's all dried up like a prune and you're empty inside. You need to come and accept Jesus Christ. Let's stand. Let's pray. We're going to sing this last song. And if he's drawing you this morning, you come. Give your life to him. Father, I know you've overheard, Lord, and and uh, here with the thousands that come in and out on Sunday, Lord, you know every heart, every mind, every thought, every life, all the brokenness, all the physical healing that's needed, Lord, all the emotional healing that's needed, Lord. You know where there needs to be encouragement. You know hearts that are filled with praise and thanksgiving, Lord. All of this open completely before you. And we don't see that, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these these pictures, Lord, that you give to us, Lord. And we thank you that we can actually settle our hearts and say, Lord, move among us. Gather into your kingdom, Lord, those today who have never come. Add to the church, Lord, as you do daily, such as should be saved. That's your work, Lord. We're content that you do that. And Lord, have our hearts, Lord. Remind us, Lord. Let these images, Lord, fill us. Let us go, Lord, with the full armor of God upon us, Lord, to finish our course in this world. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Joe Foch. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Joe's teaching ministry by visiting ccphilly.org.